With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hi, guys. Welcome to the Liz Wheeler Show. I'm Liz Wheeler. We do have a lot to talk about today, but the very first thing that I want to talk to you about is actually a question. It's not me talking about. Have you subscribed to the show? If not, please go over to Apple Podcasts or Spotify Click those subscribe buttons, go to YouTube, hit subscribe, and hit the bell on YouTube so that I can notify you every time we have a new episode or interview or video. And do the same on Rumble, rumble.com slash Liz Wheeler. Hit subscribe. There's also a red button next to the subscribe button on Rumble that allows you to join the Liz Wheeler Show community on Locals. So I invite you and encourage you to join over there. Greatly appreciate everybody who has been subscribing. Um, What are we going to talk about today? Did you guys see... Elon Musk's tweet. This one might be the tweet that almost broke the internet. Elon Musk's tweet when he said, my pronouns are prosecute slash Fauci. And here's the thing. I give Elon credit for knowing exactly the reaction that his tweets will will garner. He knows what he's doing. And he's not just doing this to try to tweak Dr. Fauci. He's actually, I know he's building rockets and doing electric cars and simultaneously saving free speech and saving Twitter. But he's also a pretty good journalist. He's also a pretty good showman and entertainer. And I think, think, think that he's teasing information that is yet to come. Something that he knows from behind the scenes, maybe Twitter files 8, 9, 10, something that he knows behind the scenes. So that's kind of my question today is, does Elon Musk because of the Twitter files, because of these internal communications at Twitter, does he have information that criminally implicates Dr. Fauci in covering up or censor, covering up something the U.S. government did when it comes to maybe our taxpayer money, funding, gain-of-function research in Wuhan, China, perhaps Dr. Fauci requesting, as a government official, requesting that Twitter censor our opinions about COVID-19 when they dissented from Dr. Fauci, I don't know what what the information would be. I suspect that we all know what it probably will be. Um, But that's the question that I have. And I I predict, mark my words, I think that Elon Musk has information that he is about to release. That's what we're going to talk about today because there's a whistleblower from EcoHealth Alliance. You guys remember EcoHealth Alliance? It's the middleman between Fauci's NIH or the grants that came from the NIAID, which is what, what Fauci controls. They gave money grant, our taxpayer money, to EcoHealth Alliance. EcoHealth Alliance then subcontracted that grant money to the Wuhan Institute of Virology, where the bat lady performed very dangerous experiments, gain-of-function experiments on bat-derived coronaviruses with the intent to juice them up, to make them more transmissible and more lethal for human beings. And uh, a whistleblower from EcoHealth Alliance has written a new book about his experiences, what he saw when he was on the inside. Because we can all sit out here on the outside and we can speculate about what happened, and we should. We can ask a lot of questions. We should do that too. We we can investigate and we should also do that. But we can't really know what's on the inside until we get someone on the inside to talk to us on the outside. So I have a lot of questions for this whistleblower. Um, Let's get to it. By the way, guys, this is the tweet that I was talking about from Elon Musk. 
The one where he says, my pronouns are prosecute slash Fauci. It's actually that simple. Those words, one, two, three, four, five words in one, one punctuation. My pronouns are prosecute Fauci. So some of the responses, I want to read you this response that Elon got to this tweet. It's from someone named Scott Kelly. Scott Kelly is actually, he's an astronaut. He's the brother of Arizona Senator Kelly. And this is what he said. He said, Elon, please don't mock and promote hate towards already marginalized and at risk of violence, members of the LGBTQ community. They are real people with real feelings. Furthermore, Dr. Fauci is a dedicated public servant whose sole motivation was saving lives. Yes, groan, roll your eyes, gag, whatever you want at that tweet. This is what Elon responded though. He goes, I strongly disagree. Forcing your pronouns upon others when they didn't ask and implicitly ostracizing those who don't is neither good nor kind to anyone. As for Fauci, he lied to Congress and funded gain-of-function research that killed millions of people. Not awesome, in my opinion. Like, this is one of my arguments about why Elon should not um, increase the, the character limit on Twitter. He said he's going to increase it from 280 characters to 4,000 characters. I am very strongly opposed to that because 4,000 characters, that's like half a chapter of a book. Half a chapter of a book. It, like, if we wanted that, we would read a book, but people don't read books because we like tweets, we want tweets. And it just, it'll take away from these brilliant, crushing responses that can all be fit into 280 characters. So that's my tangent of the day. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to, has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. <gasps> No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Um, but Elon did respond to one other guy, kind of confirming what I said before. You know, does he have information behind the scenes at Twitter that shows that Dr. Fauci was engaged or implicated in some criminality? A guy named Dave Lee said, will this be explained in a new Twitter files part? To which Elon Musk responded, yes. Just yes, one word, one word. And then of course, we have Dr. Fauci. I know we've, we've, we've <laughs> criticized, is the nicest word I can think of, criticized Dr. Fauci a lot on this show because it's deserved. This is what we're supposed to do as the American people, as citizens. We're supposed to hold our government officials accountable, even if they are not elected officials, as Dr. Fauci is not. But this guy, this guy, Dr. Fauci, has lied repeatedly to our representatives in the United States Congress, denying what we all know to be true. And um, Wall Street Silver is the name of a Twitter user who put together a brilliant compilation that I think encapsulates exactly what is wrong with Dr. Fauci. Take a look. We, I, I don't know how many times I can say it, Madam Chair. We did not fund gain-of-function research to be conducted in the Wuhan Institute of Virology. In our health lead, we now know that a bat coronavirus was enhanced in a lab. NIH and NIAID categorically has not funded gain-of-function research to be conducted in the Wuhan Institute. The National Institutes of Health acknowledged that it funded research of a virus that was studied at the Wuhan Institute of Virology. The experiment unexpectedly, we're told, made a bat coronavirus more contagious than the original naturally occurring one. Dr. Fauci, knowing that it is a crime to lie to Congress, do you wish to retract your statement of May 11th where you claimed that the NIH never funded gain-of-function research in Wuhan? 
Senator Paul, I have never lied before the Congress, and I do not retract that statement. A new letter raising questions about experiments in a Wuhan lab. What was, let me finish. You take an animal virus and you increase its transmissibility to humans. Right. You're saying that's not gain of function. Yeah, that is correct. And, and Senator Paul, you do not know what you are talking about, quite frankly. And I want to say that officially. You do not know what you are talking about. For years, the National Institutes of Health provided grant money to the EcoHealth Alliance Research Group, which conducted experiments with bat coronaviruses in Wuhan, China. And if anybody is lying here, Senator, it is you. That's where you are getting. Let me finish. We don't know. Well, we don't wait know a minute. It did I come can the lab, but you. all the evidence is pointing that it came from the lab. You. And there will be responsibility for those who funded the lab, including yourself. National Institute of Health admitted this week that it funded controversial gain-of-function research using coronaviruses at a lab in China at the epicenter of the pandemic. Contradicting claims from Dr. Anthony Fauci that American tax dollars never paid for that kind of research. I have not lied before Congress. I have never lied Certainly not before Congress. Case closed. He's the author of a new book called The Truth About Wuhan, How I Uncovered the Biggest Lie in History, Dr. Andrew Huff. Dr. Huff, thanks for joining me on the show. Uh, thank you so much for having me. Uh, I have to say it was brilliant whoever paired the Tchaikovsky with uh, the, the Dr. Anthony Fauci lying montage. So good work. It was so brilliant. I saw it on Twitter and I knew I had to share it with everybody watching and listening to the show because it, 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 it was quite something. I've seen a lot of good Fauci compilations, but that was the best. So let's talk first just about who you are. People are going to be wondering. I called you a, a whistleblower. That's how you're styling yourself. But you worked for EcoHealth Alliance, correct? I did. I worked from, at EcoHealth Alliance from the fall of 2014 until the summer of 2016. 2016. So about two years. And what did you do there? I was hired as a senior scientist of data and technology as a quantitative epidemiologist and I was successful at bringing in a number of large grants, about $6 million in my first year. Many scientists don't ever see that kind of money over their, their entire careers. And due to my success, I was promoted to vice president after about a year. Oh, you were vice president of EcoHealth Alliance. So you weren't just doing like the sciencey stuff. You were actually part of like the business structure. Oh, absolutely. And the way that uh, EcoHealth Alliance was structured is that uh, primarily, Peter Daszak served as something called a principal investigator, meaning the person in charge of all the grants. In academia and scientific research, the, the principal and guest investigators like God. They receive the money. They, they're responsible. They can move funding around with the government's permission. Um, I was one of the few principal investigators, even as a senior scientist at Equal Alliance. And then with that success, I asked to be uh, well, promoted and then added to other other projects in the company, which I was. So I started sitting in all the weekly executive meetings uh, about related to all the operations of the company. So that's that's very interesting, actually, what you said that that Peter Das, who, by the way, has blocked me on Twitter. I wonder why um, <laughs> he the controls the money. So if you apply. Yeah, welcome to the club, right? If you apply for a grant from the government, this is a, a grant that's doled out by Anthony Fauci, by the NIH and the NIAID. It was always my understanding that if you if you applied for this, then you had to use the money for the very specific purpose that you that you that for which you sent in the application. You're saying that's not true? Well, with government grants, there's two categories of funding. So there, there's government grants and government contracts. Most of my work was contract, which has much more strict... Uh, rules about how you can spend the money. Uh, government grants are a little bit different, where the, the principal investigator can sort of use the money as long as they accomplish the work that's in the specific aims of the grant. 
and accomplish those specific games, usually you have a lot of liberty to spend that money however you feel is best. And this had happened to me at, at a number of places where I either conducted research as a student, um, a research fellow, a scientist at other organizations or a professor. Sometimes you have leftover money and you can use that money on other projects or to fund students or researchers. You really do have a, a lot more flexibility on a grant compared to a contract. Contracts are typically time, time and materials, or you can, if you're a savvy um, scientist, you can do fixed cost contracts, which can be more profitable if you come in under under budget. Um, now, it's interesting how you, you're framing this within the, the context of NAID, NIH. Um, actually, the, the back coronavirus work began under USAID, the United States Agency for International Development, uh, during the PREDICT program. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Interesting. So we can, we can talk about that, but let me ask you. So what did you work on specifically when you were there? What was your work? Well, when I was first hired, uh, I was led to believe that I was turning around a failing department. So my predecessor, Dr. Nico Preston, had left, and he went back up to institutions around uh, the Harvard area. And I was developing advanced analytical or predictive technologies using machine learning and artificial intelligence to predict and forecast uh, various aspects of pandemic, human, human movement, um, infectious disease emergence, using something called natural language processing to detect um, Infect, these infectious disease events. So this is this falls under a, a, a term and a bit of jargon in public health called biosurveillance. So detecting infectious diseases in real time, if possible. And then as I was promoted, um, I asked to be involved in more of the other work. So um, when you're a scientist at one of these organizations, often you're asked to consult or review proposals that the other scientists are working on. So I was the only card-carrying epidemiologist at the time when we worked there. There were two veterinarians, Dr. Peter Daszak is actually a parasitologist. Dr. Dr. Kevin Oloval um, is an infectious disease ecologist. So, so Kevin and I were sort of the closest. So I'd be asked to consult on, on different projects um, when they're trying to figure out the statistical power or how many samples they need to collect. Um, I'd be the person that they'd come to. So the, the math guy, the statistics guy. And then if, you know, if we could make something tech and turning it into a platform or something with, you know, based on the internet that others could use or something that we could scale, they would come to me because I have the technical chops. Once I was promoted, well, then um, I was added to the PREDICT program as a country uh, coordinator or liaison to Su Su uh, Sudan and Jordan. The funding got cut to Sudan. And then I had actually solicited working in a number of different things. I offered to be the, the, the biosecurity or safety officer for EcoHealth Alliance. That was shot down. We could talk about that. Um, I offered to be the, the chief security officer to improve the security of our equipment and the enterprise, really, because I saw a number of security risks at the company. And, you know, I, I was just um, trying to be the best employee that, that I could be. So I was always offering to take on more work or extra responsibility. Um, every once in a while in one of these academic environments, what happens to is that, you know, there, there might be 10 or 15 different research projects going on. And they might give you a small percentage off different projects at different times to help with minor things. So 
they need help assistance doing some mathematical work on a paper, you might assist. So that that's very, very typical, normal stuff in a scientific organization. It sounds in a sense like a pretty good gig if you got to be involved in all these projects. Why'd you end up leaving? Well, Dr. Dasik and I had a falling out. Um, so it's just, it's just, it's still hard for me to, to, to relive it sometimes. So I'm hired to turn around this failing department. Um, I'm really successful. I'm loving working there. Peter Dask and I have a great working relationship. He's an excellent writer. He's a great strategist, um, which you can actually see with this, this, with the, the who investigation commission, which, which ends up happening after the pandemic um, happens. But we have this great relationship and I was actually working to privatize my department. Um, a number of the technologies that I was working on were worth a lot of money in the private sector. And Peter encouraged me to go solicit this to the board of directors and um, which I did successfully. I think I probably had, you know, four or five of the, the directors uh, on board with my plan to privatize at least or monetize part of my, my department. I then used a lot of my social capital convincing people in my department that this was going to happen and this would be a good thing. And some of us would be reassigned to this. And then one day he decides to um, publicly announce that it's not going to happen. And he doesn't do this with any warning to me. He actually does this at a company-wide meeting, which was terribly embarrassing to me. And at that point, I decided that I never wanted to work with this man again because he had lied to me. But over the course of this journey, there were so many different weird, strange things that had happened. That was just the tipping point. I, I learned from working there that everything that Peter Dask at EcoHealth Alliance was telling everybody was a fraud. So one of the main reasons why I went to go work there was that the mission of the organization was something to this effect. We conduct conservation work because we want to prevent emerging infectious diseases. And the idea was, or what their this image they were portraying was that they were going out and saving cute furry animals or investing in the environment and protecting it. And there's actually a lot of scientific uh, face validity to this argument, because if you can protect or conserve the environment and prevent people from being exposed to nasty diseases in caves or remote areas, then the 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 two species, humans and the animals, won't interact, and the disease won't emerge. Well, great. Well, after I'm promoted to vice president, I was sitting in one of these executive meetings, and I asked Dr. Dask, "Well, how much money are we spending on conservation?" And he had this real maniacal laugh and we're not spending any money on conservation. And I was floored. I couldn't believe it. I mean, we had all these people sitting here looking in the office and they'll believe that they're working to protect and save wildlife and conserve the environment, but yet we're not spending any money on this. You can imagine how shocked I was after working there for a year and I just figured this out. Well, that's when I began to, uh, began to look at Peter differently and everything he said. And so this PREDICT program that we were working on, $210 million was spent by the U.S. government on this PREDICT program. And Dr. Dasik is running around telling everyone that we're going to predict and prevent emerging infectious diseases. And this, this was tied into this conservation mission. And at first, when I first started working there, I had to focus on my own work, bring more money into the organization. But then when I'm promoted, I'm assigned to this, this cool, what I think is a cool project. And I read through about four inches of predict publications, history, manuals about the work they've been doing. And it's clear to me as a scientist in my field that there's no way that they're going to be able to predict or forecast anything. They're not collecting enough samples. The sample sizes are too small. 
And then once I'm actually assigned to the countries where we're collecting these samples, I realize the budgets are too small. There's no way that you can have sufficient predictive power to predict anything. So I started asking myself, well, what is this? You know, this is, did, this you, is ever, big... did you bring that up to them? Oh, absolutely. Did you ever raise that flag? Yeah, yeah, I did. And, you know, as a, I guess, low, not low level executive, but as one of the younger scientists in the room and you've got the, the most powerful guy there, your boss, you still have to be somewhat measured in how you bring these concerns up if you want to keep your, your position. So I always did that in a respectful way. And how did, how did he respond when you did raise that, when you did raise that concern? Well, the first time I brought it up, I think I said something to the effect, um, you know, I don't think we have enough predictive power here in, in scientific terms to, to do sort of what we're saying. You know, he, he would mumble some, some answer, which wasn't really addressing my concern, but just trying to sort of make it go away. I, I don't know if you've ever met someone who speaks like this, but sort of giving me lip service about it. And I could tell that he didn't want to be pressed on the issue. Well, the second time I brought it up, we were on not as good terms. And I think I called it pseudoscience to his face, which is a big sort of insult in science. But that's factually what it is or what it was. Well, that wasn't well received. And, you know, there, there are a number of the crazy things that happened to I worked at Eagle Alliance. So there were some connections to the intelligence community, which I, uh, community, which I noticed. Um, when I first started working there, I was asked to... What do you mean by that? So I was asked to create a, a collaborator report. So usually when you receive a big contract or grant, you have to submit reports back to the government to demonstrate your progress on the work. Well, I was a new employee, and they asked me to submit a collaborator report for the Intelligence Advanced Research Projects Agency. That is like the Defense Advanced Research Projects Agency. I'm not sure if you're familiar with that. Are you familiar with DARPA? Have you heard of DARPA? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. So IARPA is the DARPA equivalent, but it reports to the, the Office of the Director of National Intelligence. I didn't think anything of it. I submitted this report. It's actually related most to, mostly to my work. Gave it to Peter, and I don't know what the heck they ever did with it. Once I was, once the, now, fast forward to when I was an executive, and I started seeing the books of all the money coming in and out of the organization. We weren't receiving any funding from IARPA, so I, I don't know why I was asked to submit this IARPA collaborator report, very strange. Um, in late 2015, Dr. Peter Daszak approached me after work one night and asked me whether or not he should work with the CIA. I had just come out, come out working at Sandia National Laboratories in the classified space and had been in the military when I was younger and had a secret clearance and had been you know, familiar with that world. And I was shocked that he was asking me this. And I had to... You know, think of something quick. I'm on the way home, uh, way home from work. It's late at night. I think it was like nine or 10 o'clock at night. We were both there late. I said, well, Peter, it never hurts to talk to them. There could be money in it. And he sort of mumbled something off about, you know, the work that we're doing in China. And um, I think my dog might be going a little crazy next to me. I'm sorry if you can hear that. Um, he started mumbling something about the, the work that, we're, you know, we're doing in China. The, the, they're interested in the places we're working with, the people we're talking to, and the data we're collecting. Well, um, so after that, we went down the elevator. I didn't really think anything of it. Went home and, um, you know, slept it off. And then over the next two months, he then confirmed that this relationship with the CIA, CIA was proceeding. And at the time, I was excited because I'm like, I, I looked at it as a new or additional revenue stream. So when, you, when you're in the moment and you're in all of this, you know, it's hard to make sense of it. 
And when Dr. Dask and I had the falling out, <clears throat> I immediately started looking for other work. I had four or five different interviews within higher ed or academia within a few weeks, and I had landed a new position rather quickly, and I was just waiting for my exit. When it gets to the point where um, <laughs> this is actually really tragic, we had a meeting in, in around February 12th of uh, 2016, and I requested a meeting with Dr. Dasik, arguing for pay raises for everyone in the company, including my department, because a lot of my employees were not medical or public health employees. They were tech employees, like engineers. And I was at high risk of losing critical people to companies like Google, Google Facebook, Apple. And I had to, to offer more competitive uh, salary packages to keep these people. Otherwise, we put my projects at risk. So we called this meeting, and it's with Peter Dasik, Harvey Kasdan, and Alexi Chamura, who is now uh, Dr. Chamura. And he was the chief of staff. And I make my argument or make my case about how everyone needs pay raises, including myself, where to be competitive with industry. And he, Peter, does not take this well. And he gets really upset about it. He basically calls me, you know, greedy. And I was merely pointing out the facts of what our employees are paid versus what other companies like EcoHealth for people who are not tech. And then also what the tech employees were making. The meetings unresolved, but are in the heat of the moment, I actually call my boss out, Peter Dasik, on the financial fraud that I had witnessed at EcoHealth Alliance, which was pretty minor. And Harvey Kasdan, the CFO, uh, went home and had a heart attack and died that day, that night or the next day. Um, that next day, I flew to Italy to meet with the UN to discuss some work on the PREDICT program. And Alexi uh, keeps on sending me texts, Peter wants to talk to you, Peter wants to talk to you. And he kept on scheduling meetings every 30 minutes or an hour and canceling. And he wouldn't tell me what the nature of the meeting was. And I'm just, you know, I'm livid because I've been sitting by my phone in a hotel room in, in, after flying to Europe waiting for a meeting for, with my boss, and he keeps playing this game. So I decided to quit at that point. I was done. And the next flight I was supposed to take was to... Let me ask you. Yeah. Let me ask you, when you were, when you were still employed by EcoHealth Alliance, were you aware of the projects or the, sub, the subcontracting that... EcoHealth did with the Wuhan Institute of Virology? Oh yeah, I, I reviewed the, so the understanding the risk of back coronavirus original proposal, I have the original copy, the unredacted version, and I've posted it to Twitter. I reviewed it when I was first hired at EcoHealth Alliance. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. And in my book, well, you know, talk to me a little bit about this. Like, there, there's obviously a debate about the origin of COVID, right? There's a debate about the origin of COVID. Was this something that was manipulated in a lab? Did it leak accidentally? Um, was it something that was naturally derived? I mean, a, as someone who works in this field, who literally worked at this company that subcontracted, how would you tell if a virus like this is manipulated if it were lab created? 
Well, there's so I'm actually an FBI trained criminal uh, epidemiologic investigator. So there are two things that you would look at. You would look at the genetic uh, sequences and signature of the agent and look at the epidemiology data of how the cases arrived uh, arose. So in my book, I go into this in detail. I mean, there, there are genetic patented sequences that were, were patented by laboratories in the United States, which end up in the wild strain circulating. And you simply look at the case data of when the cases emerged, how they emerged. And then the other thing you do is you look at the behavior of all the actors involved. And that's how you would, that's how, you know, they should have treated this as a criminal investigation. And then if it wouldn't have been criminal, then you, there, there's, there's not charges filed. But instead what happens uh, when this, disease well when actually when this disease begins to spread around the planet um that's way before anyone's told about it so the epidemi the epidemiology data clearly shows that this disease emerged in late august or early september of 2019 think about that for a second so look at think about everything what, what china's told us okay think about what our, the u.s government has told us the hard scientific data shows that this disease emerged in late August or early September of 2019. It's peer-reviewed researched. It was replicated independently from analyzing different data sources, and the scientists all came up with the same thing. So then what happens? Well, a major cover-up operation happens. The Chinese go into panic mode and start buying containment equipment to get ahead of the lab leak. Then the next thing that happens is that there's some kind of coordination that happens between the U.S. government and the Chinese. That, that either happens between October 1st, well, somewhere between October 1st and December 15th of 2019. The World Military Games in Wuhan take place, and all the athletes report that the, the city is empty. And the city is under lockdown, and a number of those, those athletes, these are military athletes, return to their home countries or their bases where they're from around the planet and report getting mystery illnesses. So to think that the US government wasn't aware of all these athletes becoming ill, it's, it's unfathomable. So I used to develop these systems for the US government. I'm an expert in biosurveillance. I know how the system works and how they captured the, the different types of data for the signal that you look for to identify these infectious disease outbreaks. Um, so in context, th there's a big lying cover-up that happens. I don't know specifically when that cover-up takes place, but the telltale sign is that... Let me interrupt you for a second. So your, your official analysis based on your experience as a forensic epidemiologist is you believe that the COVID-19 virus was manipulated and leaked from the Wuhan Institute of Virology? Oh, absolutely. Um, this, this is what I told you. There is no evidence. There's no evidence that this naturally emerged. None. All this BS about the wet market. Well, first of all, this wet market that they fooled everyone with, and they, they played on Western uh, or Westernized or American views of what China is. This wet market is in the equivalent of the Upper East Side of New York. Do you do you picture a bunch of people in the Upper East Side of New York running around to dirty markets eating you know live animals? No. When I went look at this market, it is a very hygienic, sanitary place where I would love to go buy fresh seafood. And it was mostly a seafood market. And the places where that they stored 
the live animals was exactly how you would do this in a sanitary fashion. Stainless steel cages, tile walls, hard cement floors with floor drains. That's, those are all indications of that they have good sanitation procedures. This was not like some dirty hole in the ground in East Africa where, you know, they have dead animals hanging for days with slime on the floor. That's what they tried to portray this as, but that was far so you, from it. So you think the U.S. government knew this? Oh, absolutely. The U.S. government was aware that this, from the very beginning, Fauci was aware from the very beginning that this was a lab-created or lab-manipulated virus that leaked from the Wuhan Institute of Virology. Well, I don't think Fauci is, is the, the guy who's responsible here. So I think Fauci, Fauci, Dr. Fauci, he certainly has a lot of blame here, and he should go to prison. But he is probably not the one that received the, the information about this infectious disease outbreak and epidemic in China. Dr. Anthony Fauci is a sub-agency director for Health and Health and Human Services that does research primarily. Research, not, not field epidemiology, not, not field disease investigation. That's in the hands of the CDC and USDA typically. FDA gets into, into a little bit as well. So when there's a when there's an so who's responsible for the cover-up then? Who would have known? Well, the intelligence community and the Department of Defense. They'd be they'd be the ones here who'd probably be the most concerned. So later on, after I leave Ecolove Alliance, there is. Have you heard of the diffuse proposal? No. Okay, so you should go look that up. So there there's a diffuse proposal. Um, Ecolove Alliance submits a proposal to the Department of Defense, uh, Defense Advanced Research Projects Agency which spells out exactly how to make SARS-CoV-2 partnered with the Wuhan Institute of Virology. Look it up. And it's cited in my book as well. And so you ask who would have the incentive here to cover this up? Well, the Department of Defense would uh, and the intelligence agencies that focus on, on health, elements of Department of Homeland Security and, and the other three-letter agencies that work on this. When you think about this, I mean, everyone seems to think that Dr. Anthony Fauci has all this reach across the U.S. government. Once again, it's a hierarchical structure of the government. I've worked in it. A subagency director from Health and Human Services is not going to be able to go coordinate a PSYOP with the intelligence community to impact, you know, shutdowns and lockdowns and all this other craziness. That came from somewhere else. So my, my hope so is. So let me ask you, if you were if you were aware when you were at when you were at EcoHealth Alliance, you were aware of the contracts with the Wuhan Institute of Virology. Was it was it pretty widely acknowledged, basically like a secret, not secret, that this was gain of function research that was happening, even though that's technically against U.S. law? Well, in context, so let's make sure we get this straight. So there was a domestic ban on gain of function work. Domestic being the key word. And then there was small print in, in the bottom of that document, which allowed Dr. Anthony Fauci to, start, to essentially grant exceptions to the rule or there's process to get around the ban. So whether or not the work at EcoHealth Alliance went through this re review process, I don't have a clue. And nobody else does. And we won't know until Congress investigates. And that's the one thing I've been asking for. Um, so far, I've been right about it, everything. And I, I encourage everyone to, to challenge everything that I'm saying because I'm a scientist. I don't mind being challenged. But we're really not going to get a lot of the critical answers that we need until Congress investigates. And there's so many different aspects, that, that so many great questions that need to be asked. I actually offered to assist um, the House Intelligence Committee with an investigation, also the, the Senate Permanent Select Committee on Investigations. 
I've turned over all my documents to them. I've given them sworn both sworn statements under oath with penalty of perjury. Heck, I even did uh, submitted the the whistleblower document to my um, one of my senators, Senator Gary Peters, and his chief of staff threatened me on the phone and called me crazy. And that was a year ago, and here we are today, and everything I've said has turned out to be a fact. Well, talk to me a little bit, I guess, about about your perspective on this type of research, because when you talk about doing classified work for the US government, the military, I assume you're talking about bioweapons research that just can't be, can't be fully divulged. Um, that's, what, that, that's what the gain of function research at, at the Wuhan Institute of Virology, that's what this strikes me as, is a sort of go around of the international agreement not to conduct bioweapons research. Is that what it appears like to you? It appears to be a few things. So in the military, I was a crunchy. I was a, an 11 Charlie an infantryman. And I'm very proud of that. So I was not doing anything nearly scientific. I was a guy running around with rifles and machine guns in the height of the war. Um, in the national security space, I'm a data, data and analytics intelligence person. So I, I take complex problems and I'm able to use computing power and um, biological data, bioinformatics to, to make sense of it and make, make predictions which are accurate. Um, I have worked in, in managed laboratories as a professor, wet laboratories. And as a hospital epidemiologist, so I've had some clinical practice skills as well. In terms of what's going on at the Wuhan Institute of Virology, you know, I asked that very question when I worked at Ecoff uh, Alliance. Well, why are we doing this work in China? And I was actually concerned about the company being ripped off um, because the Chinese have a long track record of lie, cheat, and steal. And the Wuhan Institute of Virology, from my previous career experience, was known as a bioweapons laboratory for the Chinese, their BSL 4 laboratory. And, you know, Peter Daszak dismissed my concerns once again. So this is, this, and this, this perplexed me. So why would we give the Chinese $600,000 and then export our gain of function research to them, to their weapons laboratory? It didn't make sense to me. So one, one of my working hypotheses or theories is that we we're actually trading advanced biotechnology from Ralph Barrick's laboratory and other scientists in the United States via Ecoff Alliance to the Wuhan Institute of Virology in exchange for collecting intelligence on their laboratory. Because the Chinese do not need our money. They don't need $5 million of American money. And this being one of their more, most sensitive research facilities, when I worked at Sandia National Laboratories, there's no way that we'd bring a bunch of foreign scientists into our laboratory and show them all the crazy stuff we were working on. It just wouldn't happen. And the Chinese wouldn't do it either. Huh. Well, it, I mean, a lot of the stuff you say raises more questions, in a sense, than than gives answers to the questions that we that we always that we already have, because it doesn't make sense for the U.S. to give essentially bioweapons information, this gain of function research, this 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 juiced up uh, bat derived coronavirus to China, especially when China has a hundred year plan to unseat us as the world superpower. Um, who should, or, who should or, Congress or, subpoena? Who should they talk to? Who, who has the answers here? Well, Dr. Anthony Fauci, Dr. Ralph Barrick, Dr. Ian Lipkin, uh, all the executives at EcoHealth Alliance, the EcoHealth Alliance Board of Directors, and then expand the investigation. Um, my attorney and I, uh, Tom Renz, filed a lawsuit in the state of New York against EcoHealth Alliance Dr. Ian Lipkin, Dr. Daszak and his wife, and Dr. Barrick from the University of North Carolina for a billion dollars. And it was filed as a dangerous product 
uh, lawsuit, the, the dangerous product that they created was SARS-CoV-2. And we're confident that we're going to get discovery on this case. Um, everyone has looked at this case. All, all the lawyers, legal experts say this is rock solid. And a lot of that is basically what my, my book is written from. And we, the case, Tom filed the case with a thousand does, meaning as we do discovery, we can expand the case out to the other parties because if the FBI is not going to step step up and do their investigation here, if the Congress is not going to step and investigate, somebody has to to investigate, and you have to have experts like me, people who are who are free from the the influence of government or corporations, get into this and take a look at it. Unfortunately, that used to be government, but th- that seems to no longer be the case in our country. I don't know what the heck's happened, but I used to be good buddies, you know, with a bunch of people or had good working relationships with uh, people in the FBI and. That seems to be, those days seem to be long gone. Well, I think that this this kind of circles it back to where we started the show today with Elon Musk being so red-pilled. I think the, the level of corruption, the level of lying, the level of evil that's been perpetuated against the American people and people all around the world by government officials has caused people to lose faith in in government officials and they deserve they deserve that they deserve not to not to have our trust because they have deceived us dr andrew huff your new book the truth about wuhan how i uncovered the biggest lie in history you can find it wherever wherever books are sold he's gonna hold up a copy there it is right there a red cover you shouldn't be able to miss it dr huff thank you for being on the show i really appreciate it thank you so much for having me of course well guys it's it's pretty interesting like i said dr huff raised maybe more questions than answered, which is part of an investigation. He has a lawsuit pending against EcoHealth Alliance. If he gets discovery in that lawsuit, he says, then Peter Daszak, who I know I always mention this, but it's just because it cracks me up. He can't he can't stand being questioned. Peter Daszak can't because he blocked me on Twitter. Um, he's the one with the answers. He's the one who who might know the truth about this and we deserve the truth. How many people have died from COVID-19? How many people have lost their livelihoods? How many people's businesses were shut down? How many children were forcibly masked? How many people, how much learning loss was incurred? How many harms did people suffer from not being able to go to the doctor? I mean, how many people took a vaccine that not only doesn't protect against the virus, but actively harmed them? How many people lost their job like my husband did when he declined to take this experimental vaccine? This is this is one of the biggest evils perpetuated against the American people in modern history. And we can't just let this go. We can't just say, thank goodness this is in our rearview mirror. Let's move along. Let's forget it. Let's, what, what was it that um, Dr. Emily Oster said? We can't just grant COVID amnesty to people. Absolutely not. We need, we need answers. And we need people like Dr. Andrew Huff to help raise the question since he was in the middle of that. So um, on that note, guys, that's what I've got for you today. Thank you for watching. Thank you for listening. I'm Liz Wheeler. This is The Liz Wheeler Show. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.